0: And you are the church. And can I get an agreement on that? Amen. We are the church. You are the church. Praise God. Amen. Thank you. This morning, my message is entitled, uh, Shutting the Door on Rejection. I started a series called The Spirit of Offense, and I've talked about offense. By the way, <clears throat> I've not preached on this here, uh, but let me make something very, very clear. One of the spirits that will travel with offense is the spirit of gossip. As soon as a spirit is offended, a person takes offense, some stronghold around them takes offense, and it is a stronghold, it wants to immediately get people on side. Gossip is a spiritual action. We were commanded to preach the good news not to whisper the bad news. All right. We were commanded to preach the good news, not to whisper the bad news. And the the whole objective of the spirit of offense The whole reason why he will gossip and try to get people on side is to bring division, but all it is is a means of deflecting so that he stays entrenched in the wound that we carry and we make the issue about someone else and something else. And gossip is always a party to that. And I just want you to understand these things, understanding the spirit world. Look, we don't major on the devil, we major on his defeat. I'm bringing the band back. You all did better when they were singing. I said we don't major on the devil, we major on his defeat. His defeat is absolutely central to the cross of Jesus Christ. At the cross, a bridge was made between God and humanity, but in that bridge, he also put the enemy under his feet, raised us up where he is so that the enemy is under our feet. And sometimes in church, um, you know, talking about the enemy gets the enemy uncomfortable. And we think we get uncomfortable, but what we don't realize is that strong man who wants to hide in our attitudes is what's really getting uncomfortable. I can tell you this, not only does the enemy know you, he knows a lot about you. We see in in the book of Acts when seven... Uh, sons of a priest were trying to cast a demon out, they said, we command you to come out in the name of Jesus Christ whom Paul preaches. Just like God doesn't have second-hand relationships, the devil will not respect a second-hand relationship. Uh, and, and, but he will recognize a bona fide, born-again, spirit-filled, Bible-based Christian. Amen. And so that those demons said, well, Paul we know, and Jesus we know, but who the heck do you think you are? The devil knows about us, but sometimes in the church, while we know the enemy, we don't want to know about him. If the devil knows more about you than you know about him, he has an unfair advantage. And it is my job to give you every tool in the tool chest, and to give you the full gospel so that you have every advantage over the enemy and he will never have place in you. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. Amen. Praise God. I want to start with Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 to 6, and it could seem like a scripture out of left field, but just give me a moment to, to uh, dress it and bring it into context In Malachi chapter 4, starting with verse 1, this is the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament, and God is speaking to us, actually, because he's talking about what will happen just before the day of his wrath that comes on the world. I've been saying for months and months, I believe that we're in the last of the last days, So what this chapter is talking about is imminently ahead of us. And this chapter talks about what God wants to see happen just before the imminent wrath of God that comes on the world. You and I, if you are born again, you are the bride of his son. The day of the Lord is a day of judgment on the world. He's not going to leave his son's bride here to face his wrath. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, But let's read this here for a moment. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act as the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses. The decrees and the laws that I gave at Horeb for all of Israel. The decrees, the statues, the laws of God are principles. They are principles of life. Too many times Christians want to take the Old Testament, throw it out and say, and say none of that applies to us. Rubbish. Thou shalt not murder. Try throwing that away. Thou shalt not steal. Try throwing that away. Thou shalt not covet what your neighbor has, because that'll lead to a lot of problems. Try throwing that away. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Try throwing that away. You see, the laws of God are principles. What many Christians don't understand is prior to Christ, we were under the law. In other words, incapable of allowing the goodness of the law to come out through us. Righteousness wasn't in us. We were under the law, and the law was our schoolteacher. It was taking us by the hand, and the best it could do was show us that we were sinners. We were bound by sin. We were under the tutorage of the law, and we were less capable than the standard that the law projected. It doesn't make the law evil. The mirror... <laughs> I look in the mirror, it's not the mirror that makes me look ugly before I brush my hair and shave and, okay. It's not the law that's ugly. If it by itself could impart life, God would have had it impart life. It cannot. All it can do is show us a reflection of what the standard was before the fall. And people want to throw the law away. And they say, I'm not under the law. You're right, I'm not under the law. Everything that was in the law was fulfilled in Christ, and a new nature is in me, and I don't need the tutelage of the law to show me what I need to do. The power of righteousness lives in you, and the power of righteousness lives in me. That doesn't mean we discard the principles of the law of God. Absolutely not. Some of those things are principles. Let me ask you, how many of you got got born again? Could I see your hand? How many of you got born again? Ever since you got born again, how many of you have decided to throw away the laws of the natural world and routinely jump off the Empire State Building? Could I see your hand? (laughs) Principles are principles, and they're there for our protection. And so in Malachi... He says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees, the laws that I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. The mere fact that God has to say, I will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to the parents, the mere fact he has to say it is uh, indicative of the fact that rejection is a curse. And there is an issue of rejection. From this passage, we see relationship. It talks about relationship. Isn't it interesting the Old Testament opens up Uh, starts in the book of Genesis with man in the garden in relationship with God until the fall. And God doesn't leave the garden until he prophesies that he's going to bring a a redemption and a restoration of the relationship. He doesn't leave the garden until he does that. You know, the enemy just threw a wrench in the works with Adam's agreement, but God doesn't leave that realm without prophesying redemption. And so the book of Genesis starts with relationship and the and the Old Testament ends with God again speaking and prophesying about restoration of relationship. The New Testament starts with the four Gospels, and the Gospels are God heralding the good news that he's come to restore and reinstate humanity through his Son, Jesus Christ. Relationship. And the New Testament ends with the book of Revelation and the very last two chapters of the book of Revelation are all about the restoration of all things, the restoration of everything, how it was before the fall. You can only have a restoration of things if you're bringing it back to how it was before. And Jesus talks about the restoration of all things. The last two chapters of Revelation is the conclusion of how God is going to jettison us back to the conditions prior to the fall of man. Somebody get excited about now. I want to tell you right now, there isn't a travel agent anywhere in the universe that can take you to the kind of paradise that God is establishing. My goodness, it'll be wonderful just not having to go through an election every four years. That alone will make it paradise. Jesus will forever be King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and the rule of God will be the norm of the day. But isn't it interesting? That the Old Testament starts with relationship. God doesn't walk out of the garden without prophesying that he's going to bring restoration of relationship. The Old Testament ends with Malachi. The very last chapter, the very last three to four verses is all about the restoration of relationship. The first four books of the New Testament is here it is, restoration of relationship. And the last two chapters of the last book of the Bible are about. About the complete restoration of relationship and restoration of all things, where now man will again be in the garden of God, walking with him in the cool of the day. Awesome. Awesome. God is all about relationships. I want to talk to you continuing in this series because rejection is relationship gone wrong. Rejection is relationship that's become a hurt, that's become a wound, that's become an injury. I'm going to make a statement and then I'll explain it scripturally. I'm going to talk to you for a moment about the foothold that becomes a stronghold. The foothold that becomes a stronghold. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. It's interesting. In Ephesians, Paul talks about footholds, chapter 4. And then Paul in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, talks about strongholds. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, part B, letter B, the second half of the verse, he says, and do not give the devil a foothold. The word foothold is topos. And topos is a place, a region, a seat, an opportunity. When you read this in the Strong's uh, Greek dictionary, it says it's a primary word, it's a spot. In general, it's a space, but a space that is limited for occupancy. Whereas, Korah, another uh, Greek word, is a large locality, a, a land, a, a continent, a, a larger area. And it goes on to say, um, a position. Figuratively, it is an opportunity, a license, a place, a room. Paul says, Don't give the devil license. Don't give him a place. Don't give him a room in your life. Years ago, a, a preacher, a really good guy, his name is Winky Prackney. he wrote a book called Doorways to Discipleship. And he broke up the human uh, life as a house. We are a temple. And he addresses every room in the house, from the living room to the kitchen to the bathroom, and addresses it. And it was a book on discipleship. It was brilliant. Uh, I wish it would come back into print. Uh, We used to use it as a teaching manual back in Australia. Uh, But a foothold is a room. The enemy will try to get a foothold. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 Paul says Now the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world on the contrary they have divine power to demolish strongholds a foothold a stronghold If we can put this up on the screen Uh, I appreciate these guys, guys like Tony back there, you know, sometimes you see I ask for something and it takes a moment between technical problems, and we've been buying bigger computers, bigger programs, et cetera, et cetera, technical problems, and then just the mere fact that often pastor will bring in his finished notes uh, 10 minutes before starting. And so, uh, at times, you might even see me get a little frustrated. It's either technical problems or just the fact that I've not given the guys enough time. They do a great job back there, and I want to publicly acknowledge that they do a great job back there. And I mean that with all my heart. I really do. Uh, So, if we have the ability to put this up on the screen, I, I wrote this. A stronghold... Have we got it? A stronghold is a foothold that you never dealt with, so the devil built on an extension. (laughs) A stronghold is a foothold that you never dealt with, so the devil built on an extension. Judas had a foothold of rejection. He was so worried about whether or not he'd have money, that money became his obsession, but it started with a fear that he wouldn't be looked after. I don't know what went on in his childhood. I don't know what went on in his family, but money became an obsession because the lack of money or the fear of being left without, and it created other entities that joined in with that rejection, covetousness, greediness, the lusting after what other people have, and when it came to the time where Mary, the sister of um, Martha, there, I was looking for the brother, but Martha will do, thank you for getting me She's throwing me a lifeline. There you go.. <laughs> Lazarus, yes. Uh, Mary, she, she anoints Jesus' feet, and a few days later, an unnamed woman also with a year's worth of nard anoints his head. Very prophetic. You can listen to the earlier sermons. You, I actually break that down. And Judas gets indignant. And he's worried about that money could have been used for the poor. But the truth of the matter was, and John says it in his gospel, Judas wasn't concerned about the poor. If he was, he wouldn't have been stealing from the treasury bag himself. Yeah. The only person that Judas thought was poor was himself. But the fear of not being provided for is a form of rejection. And what was a foothold in Judas became a stronghold that in the end took him out. Either we take out footholds when they're only footholds, and if we don't, a stronghold is a foothold we never dealt with, and so the enemy built on an extension. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. I I thought that was good. Amen. Anyway, here we go. A stronghold is made of several entities working together for the gradual destruction of your life. A stronghold is made up of several entities. Yes, I am talking about demonic powers. I am not going to hide that. I'm out to do war today. I'm out to bring deliverance in the name of Jesus. I'm tired, you know, absolutely, I'm tired. People in their 60s, 70s, and 80s still struggling with issues from when they were five years old. And I'm not tired of them. I'm tired of how the, the enemy, you know, in the Garden of Eden, God in his prophecy said that Satan's serpents, all right, his demons will bruise the heel of humanity. I talk about the bruises of Satan. Uh, not his bruises. He didn't get bruised. He got crushed, But the enemy and all of his demons have been putting their venomous fangs into the descendants of Adam and Eve. Through the history of humanity, there is one thing that is constant, and that is that everyone has been bitten with the poison of wounds and devastation, rejection, fear, abuse, etc., etc., etc. And on the cross, Jesus didn't just say, it's finished. He said, enough. Hallelujah. Enough. He came to set the captives free. And I'm so glad for that. Praise God. A stronghold is made of several entities working together for the gradual destruction of your life. This is called the anointing of the demonic realm. The anointing of the demonic realm. I I don't have time today uh, God spoke to me very clearly back in Australia, an amazing experience, a supernatural experience that I went through. And I woke up sitting upright in bed cold sweat, heaving out of breath and weeping my eyes out at the the dream that I had just had. And I heard God say, in a few days, I will teach you about the anointing of the demonic realm. Some of you have heard me preach on it. I don't have time to elaborate on it today. But in short, let me explain. Everything that God does, the enemy counterfeits. What God does, he does for good. What Satan does, he does for evil. So just like the laws of aerodynamics can be used to spread the gospel everywhere and bring the healing gospel of Jesus Christ to a broken world, The laws of aerodynamics can be used by an agent of evil for evil to bring nuclear weapons and bombs and dropping them on people's lives. We understand? So the principles of God can be used. They're still laws, they're principles. They'll work. And so the enemy uses the principles of God. It's called the anointing of the demonic realm. This principle is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. By the way, I've made copies of the notes today because I believe it would be extremely beneficial and I think people will want them. If you don't, that's fine. But I believe that this is a deep study that will help Bring clarity and absolute healing and deliverance in your life. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 12 says that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. That's why the prayer of agreement is a powerful thing. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. It's a principle. That's why the Son of God came preaching the will of God. He became the spoken word of the will of God and the Holy Ghost anointed the word of God. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Whenever you preach the word of God, that is the will of God and the Holy Ghost will always be around to bring the anointing because he will always accomplish what God's will is. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. So the demonic anointing is a combination of a 3 court strand. This principle is not easily broken in Psalm 133, verse 1 to 3, where God prophesies through David, and David says, Beloved, behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil, the anointing oil upon the head. Running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. Aaron was the high priest. Uh, running down on the edge of his garments, it is like the dew of Hermon, the dew on the 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 mountain side uh, early in the morning, so refreshing. Uh, bringing life, descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commands the blessing, life evermore. When there is unity among the brethren, that is the precursor to releasing the anointing. If God's going to command the blessing forevermore, he's going to release the anointing, isn't he? When brethren come together in unity, I say brethren because the premise is we start with doing the will of God. When brethren come together on the will of God, we are in agreement with the Father, and the Father sees the agreement of the brethren, and he speaks, and the Holy Ghost releases the blessing. It is the anointing. Amen. Praise God. So, the demonic anointing is a counterfeit of God's anointing, which is, as I've said, the Holy Spirit performing the Word of God based on the will of God. Rejection is the root. Fear and inferiority make up the trunk, the branches, and the leaves. You can cut a tree down to the bottom of the trunk. But if you don't take out the roots, a new shoot will come up, and eventually there'll be another tree. Roots are very important. So I said I was going to take a moment to just talk about footholds and strongholds. Now we're going to bring it back to Malachi. God's all about relationship. The devastation of relationship is rejection. There isn't a person... Who breathes error That hasn't experienced some form of rejection. Look, rejection's all around the child. From the moment an infant is born, that little thing is being bottle-fed by mommy and daddy. All it does, all it has to do, is cry. It could cry at two in the morning, and it'll be uh, fed a warm meal. <laughs> it could cry at three in the morning, four in the morning. It'll be fed. A warm meal right and the moment that little infant gets to the place of being four months old mommy only has to walk away ten feet and it'll cry why is it that a child that comes into the world knowing nothing that at a whim cries for food and gets served a hot meal every time I mean, I'd love to experience that. <laughs> I'd love to get a hot meal every time I have a whim, all right? But here's a child, knows nothing but the fact that every time it's, it cries, it gets a hot feed. And then when it's four, years, uh, four months old, six months old, mommy can walk away and it starts crying. The seeds of rejection are already in the curse, from childhood. If, how many of you have ever noticed how easily a child feels rejected? Abs- is that all? Participation is a great way to encourage the preacher. How many of you have ever noticed how easily a child feels rejected? Their upper lip starts quivering, you know. It's like daddy walks out the door. Ah! Yeah. And uh, re- rejection. Ah, praise God. (laughs) Wait for it. It's coming. It's coming. Rejection is the root. Fear and inferiority make up the trunk and the branches and the leaves. You know, the branches and the leaves create a distraction. People don't walk around a cultivated, landscaped yard, a city that is well-landscaped. People don't go around and say, wow, doesn't those daisies and daffodils have beautiful roots? My goodness, look at the roots under that Cuban palm tree. The branches, the leaves, the flowers are a distraction, that keep you away from the roots and as it is in the natural so it is in the spiritual. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 verse 37 to 40 that all of the law and all of the prophets the law is such a terrible thing all of the law and all the prophets hang on this love God with all your heart love him passionately and love your neighbor And love yourself. That's pretty horrible, isn't it? All of the law and all of the prophets, let's see, that's the whole Old Testament, comes down to this love God passionately, and love yourself, and love other people the same way you love yourself. That's what Jesus said. Self love is very important to closing the door on rejection. Now, I want everyone to repeat this because this is very important. We're preaching today on shutting the door to rejection. Rejection is real. It's not just an event. It's not an emotion. It's a spirit, okay? He creates the event and sets you up for the event and then makes you feel who he is. An angry spirit, a spirit of anger, is an angry spirit. A spirit of fear is actually a timid spirit. An in, a spirit of inferiority is exactly that. A spirit of lust, a person who struggles with a spirit of lust, sees through the eyes of lust, hears through the ears of lust, feels the emotion of Lust. That's what a stronghold does. He creates a wound and then personifies his thoughts, his feelings, his perspectives through us so that we're constantly seeing life through a jaded lens. Amen. Absolutely. And uh, so. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus says, all the law and the prophets, hang on this, love God, love yourself, and love your neighbor. Self-love is very important. So repeat after me, everybody. Self-love is very important to closing the door on rejection. See, rejection comes with fear and inferiority. A three-stranded cord is not easily broken. The three of them work together to bring about your destruction. They work together to steal from you the joy of life. They work together to steal from you the assurance that your wife loves you, your husband loves you, uh, your mother loves you, your father loves you, that people care about you. They work together to steal, they work together to kill, and they work together to bring destruction. It is the anointing of the demonic realm. The devil's not clever. He just copies what he saw God do. Rejection comes with fear and inferiority. Now listen, this is good. And I think we're going to... Thank you. Look at that. They're doing it one line at a time as well. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, I didn't tell them to do it, but they caught it. Good on you guys. Rejection comes with fear and inferiority. Fear will tell you what will go wrong and what will happen to you. Fear will tell you what will go wrong. The spirit of fear will talk to you. And it'll tell you what's gonna go wrong, the fear of failure. It'll tell you what's gonna go wrong. It'll tell you things that'll happen to you. It'll speak these negative words of destruction. That's what fear speaks. Fear speaks, rejection speaks, inferiority speaks. Inferiority will tell you you're a failure, you're inferior. Why would anyone ever love you? You're not worth protecting. Can we... They'll get it in a minute. It's probably the computer playing up. Inferiority will tell you. So fear will tell you what will go wrong and what will happen to you. Inferiority will tell you why. You're a failure. It'll tell you why all that will happen. You're a failure. You're inferior. Why would anyone ever love you? You're not worth protecting. And when you struggle with inferiority, as many people do, They hear these things all the time. They think these things all the time. You think it's just your thoughts. They may have become your thoughts, but they didn't start as your thoughts. Fear and inferiority will speak to you until you learn to speak their language. Fear and inferiority Will speak to you until you learn to speak their language. What, is, what do parents do with a newborn? Hello, hello, hello. You're so cute. You're so cute. What do you want? What do you want? You want some milk? You want Bubba? You want Bubba? You want to go to bed with some Bubba? I'll give you some milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're so beautiful. And what happens? We keep doing that. Like a bunch of nerds, we just keep doing it. Oh, Until finally the baby starts to grow enough to repeat what they heard. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Fear and inferiority will speak to you until you learn their language and you start speaking the same language. Praise God. Praise God. When you start speaking their language, here's the problem. You've come into agreement with them and you've given them the keys to the house. You see, that's the foothold that should never have become the stronghold. And when we start agreeing with inferiority, I'm an idiot. I'm not worth it. I'm so stupid. When we start agreeing with inferiority, we are out of agreement with God. Those of you that have been part of the church, you've heard me preach on the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of evil is not the knowledge of how to knock over Fort Worth. The knowledge of evil, or Fort Knox, where's the money? Fort Knox? Okay, Fort Knox. All right. The knowledge of evil isn't how to perpetrate the greatest heist in mankind. The knowledge of evil is any knowledge that is contrary, even one degree, to the knowledge of God. Because God is the absolute truth, everything about God is right, and the knowledge of evil is anything that's in disagreement. And the knowledge of evil becomes the building blocks of strongholds, belief systems, thought patterns, conclusions that we come to out of our wounds become the, the, the fabric or the building material for a stronghold, all right? So when you start speaking their language, you've come into agreement with them and you've given them keys to the house. When you agree, you're stupid, you're an idiot, you're not worth it. You've come into agreement with that spirit And you've given him access to your house. That's where it's a foothold and you need to shut the door and say, Get out of here. In Jesus' name, I'm not receiving that. Okay? We need to speak to it because if you don't deal with a foothold, the devil will be encouraged and he'll build an addition on to the house. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Bible says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 45, second half, out of the abundance of the heart. And so the devil will speak it to you, speak it to you, speak it to you until you believe it. And when you believe it, you start speaking the same language. And when you've spoken the same language, you and the strong man are in agreement. The progression of rejection is rejection. Fear, inferiority. It leads to depression and suicidal tendencies. And counselors will often conclude that young people today are committing suicide in horrendous numbers because they don't see a future in a dim world. Depression, suicide. But I told you that rejection is one of the sneakiest strongholds that there are. He must remain hidden. He doesn't care if you lop off the branches. He doesn't care if you trim back the leaves. He doesn't care if you take a a saw, a chainsaw, and cut down the stump, as long as you never see the roots and attend to the roots, because you could cut the trunk of the tree down, and those roots will bring up another sap, and that thing will suck life out of you. So people often, counselors will often think, well, yeah, you know, the kids are in depression and they're suicidal because they don't see a future in a dim world. Now listen, I'm going to spell a word in a moment. You could get offended if you want. I'm too concerned about just making a point and speaking the truth. I hope you don't get offended and I want you to hear me. To put it blunt, The problem isn't that they don't see a future in a dim world. The problem is that they don't see a world that gives a -A D-A-M about their future. In other words, what I'm saying is that the issue really comes back to rejection. And most people don't realize it comes back to rejection. But what a lot of young people and what a lot of people struggle with is the fact that they, they live in a reality of suicidal tendencies, and it's fueled by uh, uh, fear, which assures them that they will feel fail. Sorry, that they will fail. The reality is their suicidal tendencies start from a depression based on the voice of inferiority. It says, I don't have what it takes to make it. It is then fueled by fear, which assures them they will fail. What most people miss is that it comes back to the root of rejection that says life, the cosmos, mother nature, God didn't deem them valid enough to give them what it takes to make it. Rejection. Rejection. Rejection is always hidden because it's the root. You can cut back the branches. Like I said, you can cut back the foliage. But if you don't get to the root. Let me be really blunt here. And let me address a white elephant that's often in the room and we don't like to discuss things like this in church. But I'm here to set the captives free. Statistics say that two out of three women have been sexually abused. Statistics say that one out of every three men have. Sometimes it's same sex abuse, sometimes it's opposite sex abuse. You don't have to look shocked that I'm saying it, this is just a reality. And if we were honest, we'd be saying, uh-huh, amen. And you don't have to say amen. Uh, I don't want to draw attention to, to you. I want to draw attention to the issue. But even in the cases of sexual abuse, any form of abuse, but even sexual abuse, do you know that the root behind all of it is rejection? It is. Because intuitively, as a child, you know that the person who is older than you is supposed to be a guardian. And they did not protect a sacred site. Hello? And their lack of protection, it's just intuitive. You know that a father's supposed to be a protector. You know that a mother's supposed to be a protector. You know that uh, the neighbor next door, who's older, an uncle, an aunt, they're. The older folk are supposed, those that are older than you, are supposed to have your best interest at heart. And so when they fail their God given responsibility, which comes intuitively even to a child, at the root of everything, we could say sexual abuse, sexual abuse, sexual abuse, but there is still an underlying root that most people never see. And that is that intuitively, the child, the individual, has been rejected by the very person who was the perpetrator who should have been their protector. Not trying to stir up a hornet's nest. To stir up a hornet's nest is just to get bees angry. I'm out to kill the whole squad. Hallelujah. And so it really starts with an issue of rejection. And that's why when we've experienced sexual abuse, we have such trouble trusting authority figures, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a mother, a father, an uncle, an aunt, or even a preacher. We struggle with these things because the very root of it comes back to a form of rejection. I'm not saying rejection is the only issue, but I am saying that it's the roots hiding underneath. Do you know that when Lucifer fell, the Bible says he left his estate. He was put on the mountain of God in the Garden of Eden to be a guardian cherub, a protector of God's holy sight. He fell, he rejected his position, and he fell, and it brought consequences. And even in sexual abuse, part of the offense is that the ones who were meant to protect us did not. And it's a form of rejecting. They rejected their position. They rejected their place. And it's amazing, never ceases to amaze me, that the victim feels the uncleanness of the perpetrator. It's getting very quiet here. The victim often feels like they're the dirty one. How like that scoundrel devil to vomit up his garbage and then make you feel like you're the bad one. Rejection is often the root that remains hidden. And I want the word of God to bring a healing to you that comes so deep that you'll never have to revisit that place again. That that strong man will never be able to steal from you again. Can I get an amen? How many of you want that? Praise God. Absolutely. 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 So rejection is often hidden. In the progression of rejection, inferiority will speak to you. That's why self-love is absolutely imperative to shutting the door on rejection. When you love yourself, you will speak the language of self-love. When you speak the language of self-love, you are dismantling the thought processes the belief systems and the thought barriers that make a stronghold. You see, when you start to speak self-love over yourself, when you start to make positive affirmations, when you're saying you're an idiot, you're stupid. Oh, well, I'm a, I'm a jerk. I always fail. I'm no good. Oh, that won't work out for me. I was the runt of the litter. You know, there are so many ways that th- this inferiority speaks to us. And we accept it. By accepting it, we've given it the handshake of fellowship. Hello? I want you to recognize these things so that you could spit it out. The importance of self-love is that it changes your language. Now you're no longer in agreement with it. You're in disagreement with it. And as you start to speak self-love over your life, remember we're talking about shutting the door on rejection as you start to speak positive affirmations about yourself, as you start to validate yourself, as you start to love yourself, what you are doing is building block by building block. You are pulling off the belief systems, the words, the curses, the judgments that you've agreed to in the, in the past, and you are dismantling the stronghold. And when you dismantle the stronghold by pulling these thoughts apart through self love, uh, affirmation, speaking what the Word of God says about you, uh, when you speak the language of self love, you are coming out of agreement with the strong man who used to live in the stronghold. That's why it's so important to understand who you are in Jesus Christ. When you believe you are who God says you are, it's God's love which will lead you to self-love. It's God's love that will lead to self-love. Validation comes from love confirmed. Validation comes from love confirmed. You feel validated when love is confirmed to you. You need to validate yourself. Remember he says love God passionately and love yourself passionately and love others passionately. And some of us can do the loving others but we don't do loving self too good. And and the spirit of inferiority will say amen and agree with you at not loving yourself. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear can't stay, stay there once you start to love yourself. Once you understand God loves you, you have a reason to love you. And once you start loving you and changing your language, you've come out of agreement with the strong man. As you speak the language of self-love, you are literally block by block, timber by timber, brick by brick, mortar by mortar. You are dismantling the stronghold, and the strong man has nowhere to hide you have come out of agreement with the strong man and what's happening is you know the bible says that kind words are healing to the, to to the bones and when you speak self love over yourself based on the word of god and you start to validate yourself you start to close up the wound from injuries that have happened even in your childhood You don't have to wait for the person who perpetrated an offense against you to heal you. You accepted it. That allowed the wound to be open. Now you can reject it, and that will allow the wound to be closed. Amen. Absolutely. (laughs) You see, the knowledge of evil is anything that disagrees with the knowledge of God. And so the moment I'm in agreement with inferiority, I'm in disagreement with the Word of God. The moment I'm in agreement that I'm no good, I'm stupid, I'm useless, I'm in disagreement with God. But the moment I start to love myself like the Word of God says, I come into agreement with the Word of God and I'm building a new stronghold and it's the kind of stronghold that the Holy Ghost will live in and the spirit of fear and inferiority will have to go. Validation comes from love confirmed. Don't wait for somebody else to confirm their love for you. You confirm your love for you based on the knowledge that God loves you. Amen. Absolutely. Self-love comes from agreeing with God that you are worth loving. That's why the most powerful words, We mentioned suicide a moment ago, mentioned childhood abuse, be it sexual, physical, mental, emotional, whatever. The most powerful words are, God loves you. God cares. I love you. I care. Rejection cannot thrive in an environment where love is constantly professed. Where love is constantly professed, love will become possessed. Amen. Amen. You you see that God closes out the Old Testament and says, I want to restore a relationship between parents and children, and children and parents. It's all about relationships, folk. It's all about relationships. Every stronghold in our life comes from the fact that we're in disagreement with God on something. Every stronghold is made up of a belief system that's in contradiction to what God has to say. That means the moment I believe something contrary to God... I've actually affected my relationship with Him. I am no longer in total harmonious flow. And the best way to stay out of a stronghold is to stay in the Word of God. (laughs) You know, one of the devil's strategies so subtle. Keep church short so that people aren't in the Word, and keep the Word bland so that people don't get offended. The best way for a stronghold not to exist is for you to get saturated in the principles of God's Word. And what I can't do on a Sunday morning, that's why I run Bible college. Listen, if you think this is good, Bible college, I'd be doing this on a three-hour basis. I could easily preach this for the next three hours. I'm not going to do that to you, all right? I'm basically out of notes for today, so I'm not doing that to you. But why am I so... uh, enthused about Bible college because we have created a church culture where you, people don't want to go to church if church is two hours. And what you don't know is that the devil's hoodwinked you, he's appealed to the flesh and he's gotten us comfortable with 60 minutes church out of, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, God, you better fit in at 60 minutes because I'm busy and I'm hungry. But the more you're in the Word, the less a stronghold can be in you. That's right, amen. I encourage you, if you haven't signed up for Bible college, and you no, know it's not meant to be an ad, I'm talking to you from my heart. I'm talking to you as a pastor. If, if this was deep, if this starts to open stuff up, in year three, I'll be writing a whole manual on binding up the, the fractured soul, dealing with the spirit of offense, and the three faces of rejection and the three agents of rejection, we will deal with the whole issue of emotional and spiritual healing. And let me tell you, year one is great, year two is awesome, and year three is just absolutely phenomenal. It is. Because we start with line upon line Precept upon precept, and we just keep going deeper and deeper, not in head knowledge that's useless. We're not going to teach you how many angels can do a ballerina act on the head of a pin. We're going to teach you things that are relevant to your everyday life, and they will set you free. The Word of God sets us free. I don't know why people treat the Word of God like it's a museum of ancient history. The word of God is the book of life. The word of God has principles to every aspect of who I am. It'll explain why I'm broken and it'll show me the way to get healed, hallelujah. I love the word of God. It is life, it is life, it is life, it is life, hallelujah. It will set you free. Absolutely. We're going to take communion because there was no greater statement of validation on you than when Jesus' arms were spread out on that cross. Right, the Romans' mallet pounding those nails into his hands and into his feet. They talk about the, sh- the shot that was heard around the world. <laughs> This was the shot that was heard through the galaxies. Every demon heard the pounds of the, Russian ma- of the Roman mallet. And they danced with glee, having thought they got rid of the Messiah. They never expected that he would enter the belly of hell. As a reigning king, single handedly, on his worst day, on Satan's turf, with all of Satan's minions, Jesus easily dethroned every one of them, took their crowns, and became King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Pastor Jan, would you come and just share a couple of thoughts about communion? I think it was, it's fitting to close with communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember how much God loves you. You're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. Thank you, Pastor Jan. This
1: is on. When Pastor Rob asked me to do this, I kind of went back into my home and went, oh God. <laughs> but then he started t- showing me something about the Lord's table. That those disciples, and we're disciples of him, were called to sit next to him up close. Love on him. And him love on them. That his body, he was telling them, but they had no idea what they were facing ahead of them. We don't know what we're facing ahead of us. But we know, and we're, we know his body was broken for us. It was bruised for us. It, we, he went through everything for us so that we can... Be up close to him. That we can be loved by him. I asked the Lord about the blood. Why the blood? And he said, I want my DNA to be in each person. And the only way to do that is for his blood to flow free and through us. The songs this morning... (laughs) The word this morning, it all goes together. As he talked to me at home, he gave me this one last piece of scripture. The one who eats my body and drinks my blood lives in me and I live in him. So we are going to take this little piece of bread. And we're going to thank him. Yes.
0: Thank you, Jesus.
1: For his body that he gave for us because he loved us. And he loves us now. Amen. And he will love us always. Amen. And we will walk in that love beyond thought or reason. Thank you, Jesus. And I thank you this morning, Lord, as your body comes together, that we're loving on you and thanking you for what you did for us. Thank you, in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Thank you, Jesus.
1: Lord, we thank you for what you did with your blood. That you're wrapping it through us and over us and around us. That you're changing our DNA into yours.
0: Amen. We Amen. thank
1: you for your pulling of your love Praise on us, Jesus. Lord God. We thank you for the blood that was shed for us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 He said, to remember. And I said, Lord, what did they have to remember? They, you hadn't left them yet. And he said, remember to sit at the table with me. <laughs> awesome. Remember that I want to sit with you. Amen. And love on you. I want to sit and be close to you. Praise God. I want you to sit and be close to those around you. I want you to pull in tight and enjoy meals together and love each other. In Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Would you stand with me, church? Pastor Steve, I know that I'm notorious sometimes how hard would it be for us to sing that refrain, I believe I am who he says I am. If I could have the whole team come on out the front. Church, I don't think there's a greater way that God could say, I love you. It doesn't matter where we felt. It doesn't matter how we felt. Why is it that religion is more apt to bring rejection and God sent his son to bring acceptance. Amen. Right. Yes. He loves us. He wants to hold us. And he wants to heal us on every level. He loves you. I, I, I hope I'm not wrecking your image of me. But I want to assure you I'm not perfect. I'm not always good. You see me up there? God loves me when I'm bold and I've got it together, and he loves me just as much when I'm making a mistake. Don't think, oh, if I could be like Pastor Rob. You're in the best place you could be because if you were like pastor rob then god would have to love you through pastor rob no he loves you for who you are he loves you he accepts you you're important to him he died he sent his son he became flesh he died for you for you amen we're going to sing this song in a second this is an affirmation i believe i am He says, I am. Self-love starts with self-talk. Inferiority is self-talk. We talk to ourselves. I can love me because God isn't out of His mind. God's not stupid. He's not crazy. He found reason to love me. He found reason to love you. And I'm going to come out of agreement with the knowledge of evil and come into an agreement with the knowledge of good and I'm going to agree with God. Yes, you found reason to love me. And I am loved. And I am worth being loved. Don't let the rejection from other human beings be the end of the sentence let God's love for you be the beginning of a new life amen amen it is so important that we change our language it is so important you could be 70 years old and, and <laughs> still struggling with the issues from your childhood I'm not here to look down at a person who's caught up in an addiction. It's a rotation of trying to escape from the thing that hurts the most. And the best thing that anyone could do is put their arms around them and love them just the way they are. Because that's what Daddy did for each and every one of us. Can I get an agreement? Amen. Amen. Go on, Pastor Steve. Oh
2: But I am redeemed. I'm caught out of darkness, redeemed. I'm anointed with all Your redeem. Saved by grace, I am free. Yes, I am redeemed. Caught out. With all your redeeming. saved
0: by grace, I am free. Amen. Over the last few weeks, I've had so many folk tell me how deliverance has been taking place in their lives and healing during the week. People have said to me, suddenly I started to remember these words being said over me. And they were able to finish the story with how God healed them and set them free from fear or rejection or some other stronghold. I want you to understand, you can say you love you because God first said he loves you. And when you speak self-love over yourself, you're coming out of agreement with the enemy and into agreement with God. Amen. If you're going to be in agreement with someone, be in agreement with God because it'll bring you life. It'll set you free. As imperfect as I am, he accepts me exactly how I am. And it's his love and unconditional acceptance that releases me from so many bondages and brokenness. And next thing I know, I've changed. I've walked free from issues that I tried to break free from. Amen. Amen. Father, I believe that your Holy Spirit will continue to minister to people through live stream as well as those that are here. And you will reveal things and you will help them to come to the place of rejecting it and changing their language where they will no longer agree with the language of the strong man, but agree with the language of your heart. Now, thank you, Father, that captives are being set free. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about the three most important loves of your life. That's right, the three most important loves of your life. And next week, I believe, will be the conclusion to this series. I thought this week would, and then the Holy Ghost came on me, and I I could have written a manual. I had to keep shortening it and shortening it. Um, but next week is going to be very practical, and it will be the application and uh, the conclusion to bringing healing into your soul. How many of you have found this series on the spirit of offense and the root of offense being rejection helpful and healing to you? Can I see your hands? Come on, let's give the Lord a praise offering for that. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Will you all be blessed and know this. Please know this. Your daddy really, 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 really loves you. He loves you. You know, I got the notes here. You could come and help yourself to notes. Come here, Amber. You know, this is one of my kids. Come here, Amber. And I love her. I love her. I love her. I love her. Amen. And I can't even come close to how much God loves her. Has she done everything perfect? No, she followed in my footsteps. No. Have any of us done everything perfect? No. It's not me that qualifies for God's love, but it's God's love that validates me. (laughs) Amen. Well, this is my daughter, so I could give her a physical hug. Give someone next to you an air hug in Jesus' name. God bless you. Next week, we are going to put a final uh, close on the door of rejection, the three loves of your life. God bless you. Have an awesome week. Amen. Amen.